what I've called the discipline of confession today, uh, about, the, about the spiritual uh, discipline of confession. Um, these things that we talk about, spiritual disciplines, are things uh, that the Bible describes that are practices or habits of your life that are designed to help you be transformed in the renewing of your mind, as Romans says, to, so that you look and act and speak and think more like Jesus a year from now than you did last year, or 10 years from now than you did today, right? And confession is one of these things. I have a confession to make as we get started. Um, when I heard about that, uh, that uh, plane that crash-landed in the Hudson and that the cause was geese, I had two thoughts. Praise God that all those people survived. And number two, this is another reason to shoot geese. <laughs> okay. Um, but, um, so that kind of tells you where I'm at on that whole thing. But I uh, wanted to, by way of introducing the topic of confession, talk to you about something that I think you can maybe relate to and get your arms around a little, little easier. In the last few years, I don't know if you know it or not, uh, and certainly not at my house, but in the last few years as a country, uh, a, lot, a lot more people have begun to adopt pythons as pets, Okay. Uh, you can buy one, in fact, at most reputable pet shops. Uh, you can go down to PetSmart or Petco or, you know, pet whatever, uh, pets.com. I don't know if they're still around or not. But um, you can buy baby pythons. And they're, they're usually about 18 inches long as a hatchling. And they're really pretty. They have, particularly the reticulated ones, they have uh, interesting patterns of green and black and brown and so forth. And they're really kind of pretty and neat. Uh, particularly if you're a guy, you know, you're like, ooh, python, really cool, right? Uh, neat pet. Uh, what most people don't realize when they buy them is how quickly that little hatchling is going to grow. And that little hatchling will go from 18 inches if you feed it once a week, okay, and, and buy once a week. You, you can start out with mice, but after a while you have to go up to rats and then guinea pigs and then rabbits. And then by the time the sucker is a year old, you need to feed him something the size of a, of a live chicken. Because by the time he's a year old, if you feed him once a week, he'll grow to 9 feet and 50 pounds. And by that time, he'll be too big for a 55-gallon aquarium. And the suckers can live for 30 years and attain 33 feet in length and over 400 pounds in weight. Now, one of the things that makes caring for a python, other than just the vast increases in size, challenging, um, and n never mind expensive, because imagine feeding an animal that size, what that would cost, uh, is what the reptile aficionados, they refer to this as the enthusiastic feeding response. Okay, what that means is, is that this thing will grab hold of and attempt to strangle to death anything that gets in its, its path. And that includes, sometimes, their owners. Okay, let me share with you a story, give you just one example. This is from the New York Times. This is not off the internet, in other words. This is from the New York Times. A 19-year-old Grant Williams of the Bronx was killed as a result of an encounter with the 13-foot Burmese python he had bought as a pet. 
Mr. Williams had some of the scent of the live chicken he was attempting to feed the snake on his hands and on his body. You know, I don't know if you've ever handled the chicken, but it's a little tough not to get some of that on you. And as he was attempting to feed the snake, the snake mistook him for the chicken, grabbed hold of him, wrapped around him, and strangled him to death. Police found him with the snake, uh, with his head inside the snake's mouth. Okay? Uh, not a good thing in the animal you're keeping for a pet. Now, most of us are not foolish and we're not crazy. And so the idea of keeping one of these things in our house never occurs. Right? Most of us have, have thought that through enough where we go, no, it might seem like a good idea, but that thing is going to grow. But the fact is, is that a lot of us do engage in all kinds of foolishness and in all kinds of things that are just as life-threatening. Maybe not physically life-threatening, at least not immediately, but that interfere with our ability to have the kind of abundant life and enjoyable life and joy-filled life that Jesus talked about when he said, I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. And, and our sin, a lot of times, becomes like that python. It starts out little, and we feed it regularly, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it gets bit bigger and more powerful all the time to where it wraps around us and it squeezes out of us all the life that we once enjoyed with our Savior and with our Lord. And the way that you get that thing uncoiled from around you is what the Bible calls confession. Uh, coming to God and admitting your, your wrongdoing and being honest about it. And, uh, and admitting that this is something that you didn't just fall into, but that in some sense, at some point, that there was a choice that was made and that you deliberately did this in disobedience to God and his word and his will for your life. And that's confession. And we don't like doing that. We don't like admitting to our sin, right? Uh, next time um, you have a fight with your spouse, uh, what are the hardest words to say after that is over? Here's, here's what they are. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's the, those are the toughest words that in the English language to say. Okay? In fact, a lot of times you can't even get it out. I was mistaken, you know, or something. You know, you can't quite get, bring yourself to say, I was wrong. I sinned against you, right? But those are the very words we need to be able to say, not only to one another, but to God. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look, first of all... Um, at the seriousness of sin. Um, look, at, look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 to 30. All right? And we're going to buzz through some scripture um, here this morning. Look at several different passages. Matthew chapter 5. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And by the way, remember when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, he is not talking 
to a bunch of people who don't understand the scriptures. He is talking to believers. Okay? This is what he says. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, let me ask you, how serious is sin? Anybody willing to cut off their right hand to prevent them from sinning? I'm not. Anybody willing to reach into their eye socket and pull out the eyeball right here and throw it away? I'm not. I don't know about you. Um, Jesus, though, is very, very serious about sin. And by the way, I don't think he is actually suggesting that we do that. Okay? I think he is, he is making this comparison so that, he can under, so that we can get it through our heads because we're a lot of times fairly spiritually dense, or at least I am, and I can't, you can't quite get your arms around how serious Jesus treats sin. But here's the reality. Every sin that has ever been committed required the bloody death of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for. Sin is deadly serious. And Jesus wants us to get it. And so he says, far better that you lose your right hand or your right eye than that you sin and be cast into hell. He is not recommending that as a course of action because guess what? If you take that course of action, here's what you will find out. Even blind people can lust. And even people with no hands can still covet, right? So the issue is not... It, it is to cause us to realize that sin is not what you do with your body. It comes out in what you do with your body, but it starts in your heart. Okay, Whereas Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great uh, Russian writer, uh, said, he said, the line of good and evil cuts through every human heart. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Okay? Sin is internal before it becomes external. And so cutting off part of your body or removing part of your anatomy is not going to help deal with what the real issue. But sin is very serious. And it causes death. All right? And he wants and Jesus in telling us this wants people to understand the futility of external outward religion in dealing with your sin. Because no matter how serious you get, even if you get serious enough to cut off your hand, cut off, uh, pull out your eye. Uh, church history tells us about a, a, a guy named Origen who took this passage and had a, a severe lust problem and emasculated himself and still lusted. Okay, He missed the point. He didn't realize that his biggest problem is not his body, it's his soul. And Jesus says, your sin goes all the way down to the very core of who you are. And it's very serious. It will cost you your life left unrepented of and unchanged. And it will send you into eternal separation from God in hell. And far better that you go through life maimed than that you be in hell. So you need to do whatever is necessary 
to deal with your sin. And what is necessary is faith in Jesus Christ who takes your sin on him. But every little sin that you've ever done is sufficient by itself to cast you into hell. Sin is very serious. Uh, I want to look now at the burden of sin. This is um, Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 to 5. Um, normally we don't do this much flipping, but I want you to see that, see this. All right? Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up by, as by the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover over my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Uh, here in this in this psalm, David is making a point that if you if your sin is confessed and you are forgiven by God, that you experience God's blessing, but that there are very serious consequences uh, sometimes for unconfessed sin. That if you refuse to come to God and honestly admit what you have done, and say with God what it was and is that it's evil that it's rebellion against God, and that it's sin. That God's hand will rest heavily on you. So uh, here in, in Psalms, uh, David indicates that it was physical. He says, my bones wasted away. I don't know if he, you know, was, that was that's a literal description of what happened, but he's describing how he felt physically. That all of the joy seemed to be sucked out of life as long as, uh, as long as his sin remained unconfessed in his life. It, there is, it's a burden. Um, you know, when I was back in high school, I had a girl that I was really serious about. Um, and, uh, I mean, I was completely just enraptured of this girl, right? And I, I, I found out about a year into the relationship that the feeling was not exactly mutual, uh, in that, uh, about three weeks before we officially broke up, she had started going out with another guy. Um, and I got very angry and very bitter about that. You know, I got this, how dare she treat me like that, you know, as we all so sometimes tend to do. And, and I stayed bitter for like a year afterward. Um, and you know, the, the funny thing about that is that, first of all, my bitterness was a sin. And second of all, the person that was most deeply hurt by that was me. Um, and sometimes I think when we confess, we, we set the captive free, and we discovered that it was the person we were looking at in the mirror every morning. We release our bitterness, we release our sin, and we come to God and we say, what I'm doing here is wrong. And we are set free. And the burden of that was just immediately, when I came to God and said, you know what, I've been bitter, I've been angry, um, 
about this for a long time, and initially it started out in justifiable hurt and pain, but when it went into bitterness, that was sin. And Father, would you forgive me? When that happened, I felt immediately released from the burden of carrying that sin around all the time. Okay? Um, there's a burden that we bear when we refuse to confess. Um, turn over uh, in your Bible there in Psalms again to Psalm 66. You got your Bibles? Okay. I want to look at the effects of sin on us. Right? <clears throat> this, is what, this is what David says. All right, verse 18 and 19. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened, and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. Uh, we have a lot of squirrels in our backyard. Um, and... Uh, they're they're actually a lot of fun. I like having them around. Uh, I like watching them run and play and all that, chase each other around the yard. Uh, but one of those squirrels periodically will decide that he needs to add a little excitement to his life. And he will start chewing on the power lines that run through our backyard. Okay. Um, and it's not the end of the world uh, for us, usually. It usually is for him. Uh, it lights up his life in a whole new way. Um, but what it does do is that it interrupts the flow of power from the line to our house, right? And it cuts us off from the ability to do things like get on the internet and so forth, right? Uh, have lights and heat. Uh, and that's always exciting in the middle of winter, right? Um, and I think... I think that when we sin, that we're kind of like that squirrel. That we chew on something that is going to destroy our life if we do it long enough. And that beyond that, we also interrupt the flow of God's power into our life. And so we can't do some of the things that we ought to, as believers, have the ability to do. Right? And in life, we only have one of two choices. Either we love God, and because we love God, we hate sin, or we love our sin, and therefore hate God. It's as simple as it is. Because every act of sin that we commit is an act of hatred and rebellion against God. Every single one. And so we don't have... Uh, another option. It's not like we can love God and continue to sin. Because God hates sin. Because it's a violation of his holiness. And everything that is good in this world is defined by him. And so if he says that is wrong, that is sin, that will hurt you, don't do that. He hates what you are doing. All right? Now, let me look uh, at Genesis chapter 3. This is also one of the other effects of sin. Okay, sin also not only interrupts our relationship with God, but if you look at Genesis 3, you start to see some other effects. All right? 
Genesis chapter 3. This is after the serpent has tempted the woman and she has eaten the fruit. And, um, and then she gave some to her husband who also ate because he was there with her. It says, The eyes of both were, of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See what's happened? Now, they were naked before, but it's just the two of them, so who cares, right? Big deal. There's no other people around to see you. But they're aware that they're naked, and they're ashamed all of a sudden. Not of their physical nakedness, but because, but because all of a sudden they have a sense of shame that they never had before in the presence of one another. And then they also... So they sew themselves some clothes. Um, Victoria's Secret right there, okay. They make themselves some underwear and run around in that, okay. And, and, then, and then God comes and they hear, his, they hear the sound of God. And what's the first thing they do? They hide from him. And they're afraid. They'd never been afraid of God before, but now they're afraid. And God questions them, and they, they start talking. And, and God asked the man first, because he was the one that God had left in charge. And he says to the man, uh, did you eat of the tree which I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman, throwing her under the bus, okay, uh, he's a courageous fellow, uh, the woman that you gave me, her fault, and then ultimately, God, your fault, uh, she gave me the fruit of the tree, oh, and by the way, and I ate. He puts his responsibility at the very end of his statement, right? And then the Lord said to the woman, what's this that you have done? And, the, and she says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So now all of a sudden, sin has intruded into the garden, and now there's a tension between between man and God, between a husband and his wife, which ultimately carries over into all of humanity. I mean, when's, when's the first murder? The next chapter. There's two sons of these two people, right? All of a sudden, there's, there's conflict between people, there's conflict between people and God, and there's even conflict between people and nature. And all of that comes into alignment because of sin. It has a huge, massive effect on these people and on their relationship with God and by extension on all of us and on an entire world that we've lived in since. Right? The world that we live in is good in certain respects, but it has terrible aspects to it. And all of that is a result of sin. Because fallen people can't live in a perfect world. They have to live in a fallen world. And so God cursed the earth so that his cursed people could live on it. And it has a massive effect. Now, I want to talk in the last uh, minutes that we have here about getting free from our sin. Because this is the most wonderful news that there is in the entire Bible. That you do not have to be free. You do not have to be enslaved to your sin anymore. That you can be free. And freedom begins with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That all of us in our whole messed up world, that we live out our lusts and our desires that are sinful and we rebel against God and we do whatever seems good to us. Right? Um, I believe it's Proverbs that says there's a way that seems right to a man. And it doesn't mean just men uh, in specific. It means people. Okay? But in the end, it leads to death. And that our sin, in other words, left to our own devices, we will engage in sin to a point that it destroys our relationship with God, our relationships with one another, and even our relationships with the world that we live in. It brings death to everything it touches. And that the solution to that is that Jesus Christ came into the world. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who took on human nature. Who, who, he became a man like us. He retained all of his attributes as God, but he became a man like us, and he lived like us, and did miracles to authenticate who he was, that he, that he was and is God. And then he was crucified, died on a cross, for my sin and for yours. That we might have forgiveness for our sins. He died as a sacrifice in our place. So that we could have forgiveness for the things that we have done. And he rose from the dead three days after they buried him. So that we would know that death did not have a hold on him. Because death is ultimately the result of sin. And he bore our sin and yet it couldn't hold him because he was innocent. And he rose again as proof of his triumph over sin and over death, the result of sin. And he offers us, as his, uh, those who follow him, the right not only to uh, trust in him and to become his, the adopted sons and daughters of God, but also to have the same power over death that he had, that death won't keep us either, that we will enter into a relationship with God that goes on into eternity as he raises us from the dead, just like he did Jesus. And that we also, in time, can have freedom, not only from the effects of sin in our life, but freedom from the actuality of sin as we go through it. And one of the ways that we get freedom from our sin is by confession. And I want to look with you at First uh, John um, chapter 1, verse 9. There are four books in your New Testament called John, okay, uh, the, the three at the end of your Bible are first, second, and third John. But I want to look at the Gospel. I mean, at, at the at first John, not at the Gospel of John. Uh, it's at the back of your Bible. Um, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Back up through Jude, third John, second John, and you'll come to first John. Okay. Um, first John, chapter one, verses eight and nine. This is what he says. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, in other words, there's nobody that has ever been born who always does good and never sins. That doesn't happen. If you're a human being born in the normal way, in other words, if you were not virgin born, uh, you know, incarnate son of God, 
and I don't think that applies to anybody in here, okay, certainly not to me, um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In other words, we're lying to ourselves. We should stop believing that. None of us is perfect. We all do things which are not acceptable to God. And he says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, we come to God and say, I rebelled against you. I was wrong. I was sinful. I ask you to forgive me. Then God, who is gracious, will forgive us. And he will not only forgive us, but he will cleanse us. He'll make us clean from the inside out and actually change us and who we are. Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He says, but look at confession here. He says, first of all, if. If we confess. Maybe we confess, maybe we don't. In other words, if you do. And it's the only healthy spiritual option for you, by the way. I don't know if you know that. But the only way for you to have a right relationship with God is to regularly engage in confession for the things that you've done. They're not pleasing to God. Uh, it says also that we should confess. Um, the word confess, there is the word homo logeo. Now, you don't need to know that, okay? But homo is the word that means the same, and logeo means word, okay, or speech. And it's, in other words, to say the same thing. It's to look at your sin and to say the same thing about it that God says, which is, is that this is evil, this is wrong, this is sin. And to bring it up before God and say what he says about it. Not to paper over it like we sometimes do, you know, thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. You know, these kinds of things, right? Um, or or sometimes in Christian terms, we, we don't like to use the word sin either. We say, I've been really struggling in this area of my life. And what we ought to say is, um, I have been sinning repeatedly and often in this area of my life, right? Or, or we talk about our family relationships and we we'll say, we have some dysfunctional family relationships. No, you have some sinful family relationships, right? Or I have a dysfunctional workplace. No, you have a sinful workplace, right? It's to say the same thing about it that God says about it and to strip off the varnish and the papering over and the curtains that we want to put over it and the fancying it up. It's not a struggle. It's not dysfunctional. It's not difficulty. It's not stumbling. It's sin. Be honest about it. Okay? Um, and by the way, confession also involves the process of what's called repentance. Okay? Repentance is just a word that we use to describe an action. Okay? When you confess your sin, you're turning away from your sin and toward God. Okay? And saying, I'm going to stop doing this or stop going this direction and I'm going to go this direction toward the Lord. 
Okay? And confession involves repentance, a forsaking of the action you've been doing or the thoughts you've been having or the words you've been using and a decision to bring those to God and say to him what they really are and ask him for forgiveness. And he will forgive you. Okay? Um, now, by the way, I want you to notice this. It's not... A lot of times, um, at least for me, you know, when I get involved in a sin, particularly it's one if it's one that I consider like a really bad one, okay? Because we all have kind of a gradated list of, you know, not really bad sins, a little bit worse sins, and like nasty, horrible, really evil sins, right? And as long as we're not in the really nasty, horrible, evil ones, we feel pretty good about ourselves. But when we do one of the really nasty, horrible, evil ones, we want to we want to do something in our relationship with God to get us back to whatever place that we felt like we were, you know. Well, I'll wait to confess until I've done my quiet time a few days, and then I'll come to God, and then I'll confess. Or I'll wait until I've walked an old lady across the street or bought some Girl Scout cookies or maybe given some blood, and then I'll confess, right? Every one of those things is just an act of your own self-righteousness, which is disgusting before God, Okay? God says through the prophet Isaiah, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's the nice translation, by the way. Uh, I won't be as graphic as, I, as God is in Isaiah and literally translate that, what it means. He says all your righteousness is as filthy rags. But if you confess... Not if you confess and do 16 good things. Not if you confess and give money to your church. Not if you confess and feel guilty about it for two months. It's not even if you confess and say uh, so many Hail Marys and so many Our Fathers. None of that. If you confess, then God is faithful and just. And will forgive you your sin. Alright. Now. How does this apply to us? Alright. First of all. I would encourage you. As I encourage me. To keep short accounts with God. You guys everybody understand what I mean by that? I mean don't let it be like. Um, you know. Twelve years in between. Don't let it be twelve days in between. If need be. Don't let it go twelve minutes. When you, can, when you sin and you realize you've sinned, go to God right then. Okay? And ask Him not only to forgive you for that specific sin, but if there's anything else, Father, that I've done that's been sin against you, would you reveal that to me by your Holy Spirit so that I can confess that also, so that there might not be any barrier between you and me. Because remember, we don't do this because it's like a it's like a uh, it's like a bank account where you have so many debits and so now you have to go get credit right from God. We do this because we love God and we want to be in right relationship with Him. Right? Why do I, when I have a fight with Karen, why do I confess my sin and repent and hopefully change? Because I love her and I don't want to hurt her in the way I just have, right? Anymore. 
The same thing is true in our relationship with God. If we love him, we don't want to continue rebelling and hurting him in the way that we have just been doing. It's a relational deal, not a bookkeeping thing. And so we come to God and we keep short accounts with him because we want there not to be any barrier between us and God because we love him. As Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not if you, sometimes we as Christians want to flip that and say, if you obey me, then you will love me. No, if you love me, the obedience comes out of an outgrowth of a love relationship. Not the other way around, right? Secondly, I would suggest that you confess specifically so that you can change specifically. Okay? Confess specifically. Let me give you the good word from Brother John Ortberg here. He says this. One, I lied to my boss and said I was working when I wasn't because I wanted to avoid trouble and bring about more honesty and change than 20 variations of I haven't been truthful enough. Let me read that again. One, I lied to my boss and said I was working when I wasn't because I wanted to avoid trouble and bring about more honesty and change than 20 variations of I haven't been truthful enough. Confess specifically. God knows when you sinned. But be honest with God, okay? You're not going to put one over on Him. Right? Confess specifically. All right? Um, and the and last thing I would say is this. If you, have, if you struggle repeatedly, there I go using that word again. If you sin repeatedly in the same way, <laughs> okay, or in the same area, or in the same relationship, sometimes our confession needs to get out of the realm of the private, the just you and God, and you need to get somebody else in that relationship with you. You know, I, I have been going to Weight Watchers here the last few weeks down at Pierce. Um, uh, if you want to join me, you can. But it's it's um, it's... It's very healing for me to go there because, first of all, I have wonderful accountability, right? There's a scale that defines the standard of righteousness for me, right? Very clear, objective deal, right? Uh, and, and if you kept on your program, the scale reveals that. And if you ate ho-hos and Doritos on several meals, okay, over your points allowance for the day, the scale reveals that, right? And you have to honestly admit what you did, right? Because the, the instructor asks you, so, tough week this week, huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. Or, um, no, it was a great week, you know. Last week I was down 5.2 pounds. Woohoo! Okay. Now, I feel like I'm at the meeting. All right. Um, but the other thing is, is that you have other people that you're involved in this with, Right? You have other people you're involved in this with, and they can help you along the way. They can, in, in the church sense, pray for you. And you can say to somebody, you know, uh, as I have had a number of guys over the years say to me, and as at, at one point in my life I had to say to another guy, you know, I'm struggling with pornography over here. 
I need you to pray for me. I need you to ask me about where I'm at on the web, uh, what stores I'm visiting, etc. I need you to ask me. Okay? By the grace of God, I've gotten a lot of healing on that. Okay? I don't struggle with that anymore. Why? Because you can bring that out into the open and you can say, this is where I'm at. And you can have somebody pray for you. And you can go to God together with them. Okay? And by the way, I want to, I mentioned that, okay, as an area of past struggle in my life. Not because I want to be gross with anybody, but to widen and make sure that everybody knows that here at Chillicothe Bible Church, your issues and your stuff is safe to deal with here in this church. Okay? We want you to deal with it in the context of relationship here. And as you continue to sin in the, in the same area over and over, get a friend, get one of the elders, get me, get Pastor Jim, and we will pray with you and meet with you and go through that valley with you together. Okay? And we will help you come to God and say, this was sin, this is wrong, I don't want to do this anymore. Father, help me. Okay? So let's pray. And if there's something you